بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد وبارك وسلم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد الحمد لله الله سبحانه وتعالى immense and eternal fadl is with us and we are in this month of Rabi'ul Awal when the Prophet ﷺ was born the Prophet ﷺ's coming to this earth is the greatest ni'mah that Allah has bestowed upon humankind and in fact upon existence itself Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala favored his prophets, his anbiya, his rasul all the messengers and then after a long period of time he decided to bring the prophet sallallahu into this world the prophet sallallahu was already ordained as a Nabi before birth in the other world in the world of the Ruh the Arwah in the world of the spirits uh, he was already seen as a Nabi as is mentioned in various traditions and so on so we obviously are in retrospect examining the life of the Prophet in this world but in terms of Aqidah we know that he was already a Nabi before his Ruh Mubarak came into his mother's womb and we must appreciate that world also because that is a world where our arwah, our souls resided before we came into our mother's womb that world is very important for us to appreciate the Prophet ﷺ mentioned this in the hadith al-arwahu junudun mujannada that the arwah are armies and platoons, columns upon columns in platoons Junudum Mujannada organized and lined up filed in that world so they have a depository of arwah there but they're all filed hmm. yeah. so what does that mean? so then he explains that they smell each other the way horses smell each other the arwah, when we were there, we smelled each other the way horses smell. When the horses smell, they get together, as they say, like feathers flock together. So there's a compatibility issue there, based on iman and kufr, and then later on based on friendship in the world. فَمَا تَعَارَفَ مِنْهَا اِئْتَلَفَ So, whichever ruh recognized 
another ruh in the world they will come together and whichever ruh now run away from another ruh then they will hate each other in the world <laughs> yeah this is primordial that's why that world is important so the reason I'm saying this is that the arwah of the believers they recognize each other and they will come together in this world and the arwah of the kuffar they despise the arwah of the believers and they reject the believers so that, that rejection and acceptance of iman and kufr is based on how well we smelled each other in that world so in that world the Prophet ﷺ had this distinct smell and the Anbiya had a distinct smell and whoever smelled his Nabi became a part of the Ummah of that Nabi here right yeah. but this is primordial it is based on this hadith the hadith is in Bukhari and other places in case you felt the hadith da'if and it doesn't matter it is in Bukhari for the sake of an argument yeah. and other books of hadith so this hadith shows that the depository of arwah in that world is so huge that we are already organized in platoons junood mujannada columns organized this way and then I said the, the offshoot of that, the, 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 the final coming together is the husband and wife. Uh, hopefully they like each other. <laughs> right. And friends. And then cousins. And then aunts and uncles and, you know, relatives. You hate relatives and maybe that's why. Um, uh, but I'm saying is that the, the, the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala organized the, the existence of human beings is primordial. You must appreciate that world from where the ruh of the Prophet also came. So in that world he was already ordained as a Nabi as in the hadith Kunta Nabiyan wa Adamu Bainalma Iwatin. That I was a Nabi even when Adam was somewhere in between water and mud. So Adam is being created crafted by Allah's two hands the Prophet is already a Nabi Rasulullah is already a Nabi that's our aqidah and we must uh, believe in this and then obviously in that world the Quran speaks of the Ahdi Alast Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took a covenant from all of us a primordial and said to all of us in the state of the Ruh am I not your Lord and we all said Bala, yes of course you are so that's, that's that world so that world although our knowledge and information of that world is very limited we still have enough to talk about from the Quran and from the Hadith and so on so the Prophet coming into this world into his mother's womb and then being delivered by his mother is the greatest ni'mah Allah has bestowed upon all of mankind 
because that is the representation of uh, Allah's fadl through the Prophet Muhammad Allah's fadl is not manifested in abstract it is manifested in real terms in the jism in the body in the real world so if you say I want Allah's fadl then it's not going to be something abstract four dimensional that's something you see in your dream if you do that's fine but it has to have a reality here on earth in concrete terms so if Allah's fadl is rizq then it has to manifest itself in a job, a money, food, clothing, etc. If Allah's fadl is ilm, then it has to manifest itself in your learning, in your knowing, in your writing, your teaching, whatever. If Allah's fadl is something else, then it translates itself in the body, in the dunya. So Allah's fadl doesn't remain abstract above the arsh and above the lawah mahfuz in the heavens. It comes down to earth, literally. So Allah's fadl was brewing for so many centuries and millenniums before it manifested itself in the body of the Prophet hmm? yeah. So you must appreciate this. That I was the first to be seen as a Nabi and was the last one to be sent he said I was the last of the Anbiya to be sent you save your best for the last you say, no? meaning that all that time from the creation of Adam and Adam was in Jannah etc and he came to earth with the Hawa all the way from that time until the birth of the Prophet Allah's fadl was brewing it was brewing it was being cooked it was being prepared and after so many millenniums of preparation Allah then decided at this moment in Rabi'ul Awwal I'm going to now bring out this fadl in this world in the body of the Prophet so you must appreciate this historical phenomenon also that it takes millenniums to do what? for the Prophet ﷺ to be prepared is not overnight you understand? so the backdrop the circumstances and the stage upon which Rasulullah ﷺ is uh, entered into and brought into took all the way from Adam's creation until the birth of the Prophet you must appreciate this backdrop and that is why when he was given Nahuwa the Quran says about all the Anbiya Quran enlists a number of Anbiya in Surah Al-An'am quite a few of them after enlisting enumerating the prophets Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says these are the ones whom Allah has guided فَبِهُدَاهُمْ اِخْتَدِهُ 
So now you, O Muhammad sallallahu you must follow their guidance. You must follow their guidance. What does this mean? This means that from the time of Adam until Isa salam, any and every heavenly divine guidance that came to mankind is now going to be represented by this one human being who is Muhammad So all the ideals, all the values, all the paradigms, all the realities and aqeedah and the akhlaq, the ethics and morals and the ibadat and all of Islam that came to all the prophets are now where? In one man. Then one human being. And who is that? That's Rasulullah sallallahu So Muslims have the distinct advantage of following all previous guidance by following one. You understand? Every heavenly guidance that came before the Prophet Every order, every value, every ideal, every philosophy, if you want to call it that. Everything that was good and that was sent down through the prophets now has been wrapped up, represented, manifested in one Nabi. That is the last Nabi. So the last Nabi is now Rasulullah. Muslims are obligated to follow the last Nabi and not any other Nabi before him. Why? Because the last Nabi is comprehensive. The last Nabi follows all the guidance of all the prophets. Not just Isa Not just Musa not just Ibrahim not just Nuh but he follows the guidance of all the prophets who came before him comprehensively, holistically and this in itself is a mojiza why? because how can you claim to be so universal that you follow every guidance you follow every ideal you follow every divinely inspired methodology. You follow every form of ibadah and ritual. You follow everything there is that Allah has revealed to anyone in mankind. It's a mojiza. And this is the stature Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to our Nabi Muhammad That first and foremost it took millenniums for Allah's fadl to brew and for the stage to be set when Allah decided to bring the Prophet into existence in this world and then when he was chosen to be the last Nabi the last Nabi follows every guidance that is under divine guidance So the Sunnah of the Prophet has left nothing. If you want to follow any guidance before the Prophet 
Then what do you do? You look into the sunnah. You follow the sunnah, you'll be following that guidance. Therefore, you can't pick up the Bible or the Torah or any of the book and say, this is heavenly and we're going to follow this because it's there. Why? Because the Prophet has already incorporated that in his sunnah. Therefore, Muslims don't say, we follow Jesus. We say, you follow Muhammad. If you say, you follow Jesus, then the other people say, why don't you follow Musa? He said, we follow Musa also. Then others will say, why don't you follow Ibrahim? He said, we follow Ibrahim. So make up your mind, who are you following? Are you following Musa, Isa, Ibrahim, which one are you following? So he said, no, we follow Muhammad Sallallahu period. You understand the methodology of how to give da'wah and how not to give da'wah. So when you give da'wah, you don't say, oh, we also follow Jesus. He said, no, you don't. You follow Muhammad Sallallahu we don't follow Isa Islam. We follow Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam exclusively. We don't need to look in the Bible, the Torah, any other book in order to be saved and have salvation, in order to succeed in this world or the other world. So I'm just saying that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala's fadl is manifested over time and the time it took for Allah's fadl to come into the world was millenniums. Millenniums of preparation and brewing and all of that. And this is how now we start the seerah of the Prophet So when we read the seerah there are many, many ways, so many approaches to seerah, so many methodologies how to read the seerah. One way is to incorporate the Quran so wherever you have an eye of the Qur'an that speaks about seerah, then you incorporate it in that uh, pocket of history. So this is where this happened, this is where this happened. And you study the seerah through the Qur'an. Uh, so that's one way to do the seerah. Very comprehensive, very natural, and it's very unique, but it's very academic. It's very academic, you need to know your stuff and get your history right. That this story in the Qur'an is mentioned here, and this is mentioned here, and this is mentioned so it's not in the order of recitation yeah, meaning the seerah in the Quran is not in the order of recitation so then you need some skill sets you need some prerequisites you need to know the seerah and the sunnah both, that's one way yeah. the other way is just to read books on the seerah written by scholars and authors and then study it methodically in a chronological way from the time of his birth until uh, his departure from the world. Uh, just as a footnote, in our classical renditions of seerah and history, uh, we, we, they, they, the, the, the ulama did not start with the birth of the Prophet. Mm. They started with Adam. For this reason, the reason I just told you. And then, and then they were masters. They didn't say too much, but they thought. And then you understood that anyone who reads will see, okay, why is he not starting with the birth of the Prophet? He's, he's talking about seerah. The seerah is not to be isolated from the seerah of the Anbiya. They go together, hand in hand. You must know the seerah of the Anbiya in the Quran also.
that seerah you find in the Quran. So that, that's one methodology and two methodologies I, I've uh, promoted in front of you. Today and there are several other methodologies uh, that you will hopefully uh, run into in your reading or in your discussing with other shiuch and so on. For the purpose of today, I think that, that, that obviously I wanted to uh, perhaps take a very intellectual approach and categorize a few things for uh, the audience, but I thought let's, let's take another turn. Hmm. Right. Yeah, let's try something else today. And then let's see if we can understand the Sira Mubarakah through some poems. Not usually my style, but there you go. Oh. A little bit of romance doesn't hurt. Hmm? In fact, it helps. A little bit of ishq, as they say in Urdu, uh, doesn't hurt. It helps to relax the uh, stress that we have um, in the community. The community is stressed. They need a bit of ishq uh, to escape into. Hmm. Ishq of Allah and ishq of Rasul is place where you can run away from your problems. You don't run away uh, from your problems into another problem. Uh, you have a stress and you're angry so you know you, you drink some alcohol or you smoke weed or you're gonna have a date with a woman uh, hopefully a woman that's not escaping towards reality Allah allows Muslims to escape towards reality it's an amazing concept run away towards Allah escape towards Allah take time out towards Allah Fafiru. Firar means to run away, means escape. But the Quran says, escape towards the ultimate reality, who is Allah. If you want a stress free life, do the dhikr of Allah. Offer salat. Read the Quran. Think about Allah. Think about the Musul. Escape into something which is real. So the ishq of the Rasul the, the, the pure love and passion for the Rasul is real. Because the Rasul is real. The only danger is that our imagination uh, has to conform with the reality of the Prophet. That's the only problem. When you have songs and lyrics and all of that jazz. But jazz doesn't have lyrics. All of that. Then you must appreciate that these artists and poets and songwriters, they exaggerate 
and their imagination usually does not conform with reality. They'll talk about a woman as if she's the best thing. Allah have a creator, but in real life she's probably trash. Yeah, there's a country songs, country music. They talk about and they sing about all these people. And the best thing that ever happened to them in real life, they, they, they hate them. So imagination sometimes gets the better of you and does not allow you to regulate your imagination with reality. So the reality there is smaller than your imagination. And your imagination is huge. Your wild horses. Taking your imagination into another level. Where nothing conforms with the truth. That's why we didn't want the Prophet ﷺ to be a poet. Neither did we teach him poetry, nor was it fitting for him. A prophet cannot be a poet because the rule of poetry is to exaggerate reality beyond reality and talk about things that really don't exist. Except the Quran mentions some people who are exceptions in the use of imagination. Some exceptions. Those who make the dhikr of Allah, those who believe in Allah, those who do good deeds. Remember Allah plenty. And engage in a social agenda for the truth and justice. So artists and poets and others usually don't have too much to do with uh, justice. They'll, they'll talk about peace, but they'll never go to the battlefield. They don't get their hands dirty. No, no, let me just write songs, it's easier. Yeah. So, in the world of imagination, what encapsulates the ishq of the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the, 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 the Allah's fadl on this ummah to capture the reality of the Prophet That is what's unique unique about the ishq of the Rasul in poetry. Muslim poets did not have to fear exaggerating the description and the beauty and the greatness of the Prophet because words cannot capture his beauty, his grace and his greatness. So they are at a distinct advantage. I can let my imagination run wild and I can use any words to describe the Prophet because all of that will be true. You understand? Anything I conceive through my words and lyrics will be less than the reality of the Prophet You cannot capture that brilliance in these words, which then the paradigm is now flipped, is now reversed, is inverted. That if you talk about another human being in poetry, that human being will be smaller than the concept mentioned in the poetry. And in the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ will always be bigger than the concept that is mentioned in poetry. 
So Muslims, subhanAllah, uh, amazing, amazing poetry about the Prophet Sallallahu about the love of the Prophet Sallallahu we should engage in that poetry. Read them. For those of you who know Arabic, so much poetry about the Prophet For those of you who know Farsi, subhanAllah, there's volumes and volumes of Farsi poems about the Prophet love. Those of you who know Urdu, subhanAllah, in a Naatan, in a Mahfil, we have so many Naat, so many praises of the Prophet We're kind of deprived in English. The English language is deprived, period. We don't have too much in English. Maybe some of you should write. Yeah. Anyway, so what I'm saying is that reading the poetry about the Prophet ﷺ is a testimony to your love for the Prophet ﷺ. Why? Because the ulama engaged in writing poetry about the Prophet ﷺ as a discipline, as part of their scholarship. So we should not shun that. We should celebrate it. And subhanAllah, the ulama captured the beauty, the grace, the kamal, the perfection of the Prophet and they also captured all of that in their renditions of their salawat upon the Prophet through their own words.